everybody. On today's episode, I have Dr. Sunita Osborne, and she signed up to do a podcast episode just like everyone else, and then mentioned that she also had a book coming out called The Miscarriage Map, and asked if she could talk about it, and I looked into it, and oh my gosh, you guys, this is really good book. You can find it on Amazon if it sounds interesting to you. Um, The Miscarriage Map, What to Expect When You Are No Longer Expecting, and it's good. She goes into just some really important topics like impact of miscarriage on your relationship, when you see a pregnant woman after you've had a loss, um, you know, the emotions that that brings up, your relationship with your own body, and also how to move forward. So, In this episode, you're going to hear her talk about her story in a very honest and um, vulnerable way, and then she'll also touch a little bit on the book. So I hope you enjoy this episode, and if the book sounds interesting to you, check it out on Amazon. I'll link it below. Welcome to the Managing Miscarriage Podcast. I am Melissa Whitman, founder of the nonprofit One Generation and our current initiative, Managing Miscarriage. I need your help. Let's take this community to the next level. Here's what you can do. Number one, if you like this podcast, please hit pause and take a few seconds to rate it on iTunes. Number two, donate through our website, managingmiscarriage.com. Number three, share your story. Go to calendly.com slash Melissa Whitman to schedule a time to chat with me. Or, number four, join our Patreon page for over 30 more episodes you can't find anywhere else as well as exclusive content. Patreon.com slash miscarriage. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash miscarriage. All the details are linked in the show notes. Enjoy the episode and thanks for tuning in. So, Sunita, you have had two miscarriages, uh, November 2018 and March 2019, that then spurred you to write a book that, by the time this podcast comes out, the book is going to be out, which I'm really, really excited about. Um, I want to hear everything. So take us to the beginning of your journey and share with us what this has been like for you. Yeah, for sure. And Well, first, Melissa, I just want to say thank you so much for creating this wonderful platform. The stories that I've heard on here have been so helpful for me on my journey. And, you know, I think that's just where I'll begin my story. So I've always known I wanted to have kids. And it was actually in the summer of 2018 where I had like a moment of real stark clarity of, okay, I'm ready to have kids. My husband, Michael, and I, we moved to Houston, Texas, which is where I'm originally from. In the summer of 2018, we moved into this house that we had planned to be big enough to start a family in. We lived really close by my parents and my brother and sister, and I started a new job at a group practice in Houston called Modern Therapy as a psychologist, and life was just amazing. And there's probably no perfect time to have kids, but it felt as close to perfect as possible. Well, that's pretty good. Right? It felt yeah. pretty good. Yeah. And so I started that conversation with my husband. He needed like a couple of months to catch up to my level of like certainty that like this is the time we're ready. But by September, we were both ready. We were like, okay, let's go ahead and get started. And I wish I could have been one of those women who kind of just let things, you know, happen naturally, have fun with it. But that's just not me. I'm a huge planner. So I off the bat just started planning, like tracking my cycle, getting the ovulation predictor kits, all that kind of stuff. I had a whole system in play. 
And the system paid off because by the end of September, I found out that I was pregnant and I was so excited. I found out probably as early as I could possibly find out because I was tracking everything so meticulously that I started taking those like home pregnancy tests as early as I could. So I still remember the morning where I saw the two faint lines come up on the pregnancy test and looking at myself in the mirror and thinking, my whole life is about to change. And I mean, that was true. And from there, I then took like five or six more pregnancy tests just to make sure. I've spent so much money on pregnancy tests by this point, but I just needed that level of certainty. And I waited about an hour or so for my husband to wake up. And I think if I hadn't been so excited, I would have planned some in a really cute, creative way to tell him that like, we're going to be parents. But I was just too excited. I just shook him awake and I was like, it's happening. We're going to be parents. And he hugged me. We were really excited. It was a really kind of sweet moment. And I then very quickly kind of got into planning mode again. I called my doctor to set up an appointment. And I was actually pretty prepared for them to have us wait a few weeks because based on my calculations, at least, I would have been around like six weeks or so. And from what I had known from like friends and family, they typically want you to come in when you're a little bit later, maybe eight weeks, 10 weeks. But my doctor was able to schedule me just a couple of days later, which I was excited for. And Something about me is I'm someone who, if I ever have any news, especially good news, I always love to just tell my family and friends about it immediately. So I went ahead and by the end of those two days had told my immediate family, my boss, and my two best friends because I was just over the moon excited about it. And then we had our first appointment on, it was a couple of days later, I saw my gynecologist who is now was now my OB and got all the colorful paperwork. She, you know, hugged me and said, congratulations. We got the new paperwork and she started to do the transvaginal ultrasound just because I was so early on. And right, she goes ahead and starts and says, okay, well, you're looking a little bit earlier than we would have expected just given, you know, the date you had shared with us, but maybe you were just a little bit off on the date. So you ovulated a little bit later than expected. So we'll just probably have you come back for another HCG test, another ultrasound in a couple of days. And I think it was probably that appointment where the kind of seed of anxiety for you me were was kind of planted. Yeah. Exactly. I knew kind of all my dates down, but you know, I just tried to tell myself, okay, she's a doctor. She's saying, don't worry about it. So I'm going to try not to worry about it. And that lasted probably by the time until I got into like the parking lot <laughs> of the doctor's office. And I'm like, okay, I'm worried now. And my husband like did a great job of trying to reassure me, but I immediately did what many listen, I mean, many guests I've heard on your podcast do, of uh, immediately going to Dr. Google and started Googling things. And very quickly, that took up a lot of time in my life in the month of October because essentially, so we found out we were pregnant September 2018, had that appointment that same, like last week of September. And then the month of October was just a merry-go-round of doctor's appointments where we were going to my OB's office, if not once, sometimes like twice a week to go get HCG levels and to get ultrasounds, which each appointment was confirming that like my HCG levels were still doubling a little bit lower than they would like, but still doubling enough. And the every time I went to the appointment, there was enough like progress in the ultrasounds that they kept saying, well, you're just probably still a bit early. You're oh. still a little early. And again, yeah, so just enough information to say like, you're maybe okay, but enough to keep me kind of like worried. 
and confused too that like over the course of a month, how would we need this many doctor's appointments? This is nothing that I'd heard any of my friends had gone through from their experiences. And it got to the point that I was probably Googling just a good portion of my day and it felt like it was dominating a lot of my life, just a level of kind of anxiety as I was experiencing. So I actually ended up kind of giving myself a homework assignment that I sometimes give to clients in therapy of I assigned myself Googling time because I would be Googling just like all throughout the day, all these different questions as they came up. And I only allowed myself, okay, we call it worry time. In therapy, that I'm only going to allow myself maybe 20 minutes at the end of the day to Google all the thoughts and questions that came to my mind, which I think helped just to give myself a little break from everything that was going on in my mind. And it was right around the beginning of November that finally my husband and I reached a point that we were just getting kind of confused and concerned of like, you know, what is going on here that by this point, we don't have any kind of idea of is this pregnancy viable or not? What is the reason that we have to keep going to so many different doctor's appointments and lab tests? So we ended up actually deciding, you know, I think we would feel safer going to a different doctor. So we ended up finding a different OB. And I will say for all the people out there, if you are ever in a position where you're not really feeling safe or feel like you're not getting the information that you need from your doctor, I really advocate you know, getting a second opinion if you need one, because this situation is hard enough already without getting the help that you deserve. So we ended up finding this other doctor and we'd given her all of our information, all of the ultrasounds, all the blood tests. By this point in November, I should have been roughly around 10 weeks or so. And she started the ultrasound. And this is something I really appreciated about her. She immediately said, okay, it looks like you're having a miscarriage. And that was a moment that I'd probably rehearsed in my head countless times, but nothing prepares you for actually hearing it. It Mm -hmm. was devastating and shocking and surreal at the same time. You know, and I've heard a lot of women describe that experience of like feeling like things are going in slow motion and then very quickly things just go in like super speed, it feels like. Because in one second, she was sharing with us this like earth shattering news. And then in the next second, she was describing the specific type of miscarriage. It was a blighted ovum, which is when the gestational sac continues to develop, which is why my HCG levels kept doubling as they were supposed to. But the embryo doesn't develop alongside it, which is why my ultrasounds kind of kept being, I guess, and delayed. So she then told us that based on how um, far along I was, based on the size of the gestational sac, that she'd recommend that I do a DNC. So talked about us going to the hospital next door, getting pre-op and everything. And I remember just feeling like just so like, like a zombie and feeling how surreal this all was that, you know, you get these, this terrible kind of news and all I want to do is just go home under the covers and just escape from the world, but it's not done. You have to leave the office. You have to go to the hospital next door. Sometimes you have to go back for follow-up appointments. And I still remember even just the walk outside of the doctor's office. You know, We're walking from the office to the front desk, and another staff member pulls me in her office, and she's like, oh, we have some paperwork for you to fill out for the labor and delivery oh, charges. Gosh. You can go ahead and put your deposit down today. Oh. And I just like, burst into tears and I'm like, I'm having a miscarriage. And she seemed really like surprised and taken aback, which in hindsight, I mean, where I said OB office, I imagine she's seen that before, but she apologized, you know, like I said, I'm I'm so sorry for your loss. And that was the first time of many I would hear that phrase. And then we 
walked over to the hospital and started doing the paperwork. And again, this whole time I'm doing it, I'm just like tears streaming down my face, like barely able to hold it together. My husband's answering all the questions that they're asking me. And I still remember there was a woman who was checking us out and everyone was really like really sweet. I mean, they could see that I was obviously upset. So they were trying to be kind. And one woman had seen my paperwork and she mentioned, she's like, you know, I know it's really hard. I've been through this myself too. I've had three or four losses as well. And I remember thinking like, first, it's a really nice thing to share. Like I appreciate the intention. And second, wow, three or four losses. How is that number not like specifically cemented in your head forever? And I remember the thought going through my mind of, is that going to be me one day? Of I'm going to have three or four losses to share that I won't even be able to maybe keep track of them. And I think just kind of thoughts like that just kind of kept going through my mind as we had to finish the pre-op and go home. All my family came over and um, we, kind of think, we just kind of sat around and kind of stunned silence. I was the first pregnancy in my sure. family. So I think none of us really knew what to say. And by, yeah, at the end of the evening, I was sitting on the couch and – I turned to what I always turn to when I need comfort, support, which is books. I'm someone who's always loved books and sought them out for like every purpose, entertainment, learning, enjoyment, whatever else. So I started looking out for books that talked about miscarriage that could provide some kind of roadmap of what it is that I was actually going through, what I could expect in the process. And there were some great books out there, but there was not one that felt like it really fit exactly what I was looking for. So I ended up actually getting my laptop that day, the day I found out about my miscarriage, the day before my DNC, which was scheduled for the next day. And I started writing. I started writing my story. And then the next day I went and got my DNC, which I will say for me, I think was the best option just because it felt like at least the physical part of it could be done in that one day. And my story and my book evolved with what I was going through. I wrote about the DNC. I wrote about the nitty gritty aspects of miscarriage, yes. including how oh expensive my gosh. it is, how time consuming it is, how you have to, mm-hmm. how, how it's not done, even when it feels like you should be done. And I started writing, I started also writing about just how to survive you in that first month of a miscarriage. Like you have to go back to work and function like everything is normal in your life when actually you're feeling devastated, feeling like your life has been shattered. I'll say for myself, I was, I'm lucky enough to work at a group practice with a bunch of amazing therapists who are probably like the most empathetic, supportive people to be around. So that really helped me out. And at the same time, I think a couple of struggles that I had was, it was really important to me to try to I wanted to avoid how in pain I was feeling when I was at work so I could focus on my clients. But the bulk of what I do is help clients walk through their pain and their grief and their trauma and their loss. So it was hard to sit with them in their pain at times when I was so experiencing so much of my own. So I would have to, I kind of almost developed a way of coping of almost trying to compartmentalize it. On my drive to work, the pretty long commute, I would be listening to therapy books or therapy-related podcasts just to kind of get me in the zone for work. And then on my way home, I'd be listening to miscarriage podcasts, like the Managing Miscarriage podcast. That's how I first got exposed to it, to almost let my mind know that like, okay, it's okay to grieve now. It's okay to think about this now and let it all in. And when I got home, it was just doing whatever I needed to do, being okay with not being okay at all for that first month. And for honestly, just the months afterwards as well too. And eventually, 
a couple of months passed. We had a follow-up appointment with my OB in November, and she shared with us that, okay, you have the green light. Like, if you guys want to get started, you can get started. And the smart thing, I think, at hindsight would have been to, like, give ourselves a little bit of time to wait to make sure that, like, we were emotionally healed before we got started again. But I think in my mind, I had this idea that, okay, if we get pregnant fast enough, maybe this miscarriage would almost be this footnote in this otherwise very happy story of our lives. So we started trying again around the end of December. And by the end of January, we found out that we were pregnant again. And I still remember the moment that I found out I was pregnant. Overall, my second pregnancy in general was a very different experience than my first pregnancy. Instead of the just joy and overwhelming excitement that I had for my first pregnancy, there was joy and happiness, but there was a lot of anxiety as well, too. I think I still remember looking at that pregnancy test and saying, no way, no fucking way. Sorry for the cursing, but no way. I I can't believe it. And... No way, like, I can't believe it happened this fast or no way. What was the emotion behind it? Yeah. I think it was, for me, it was, it felt really surreal. I immediately felt anxious. I think I also felt this feeling. Oh my gosh, the anxiety was so high. It also, I think there's this feeling of, um, I don't know what I would label it exactly as much as, yeah, it's probably just the anxiety of like, did we jump into this too fast? Should we have actually waited? Now, like it's here, it's happened and I'm excited, but I'm also anxious because like, are we ready? Am I prepared to experience the kind of overwhelming worry that I'm about to walk into right now? So I shared with my husband the news and this time we decided, okay, I want to schedule my doctor's appointment for as late as we can schedule it. I do not want to be stuck in the position of going and them saying that we're too early, keep coming back, keep coming back. So that was January 2019 that we found out we were pregnant for the second time and we scheduled our appointment for the last week in February when I would have been right around 10 weeks. For that whole month of February, I was definitely an anxious mess a little bit. I needed a lot of distraction, got a lot of great support from my husband. And I will say, I think one thing that was different in my second pregnancy, in my first pregnancy, I did a lot of Googling. I did a lot. I took a lot of pregnancy tests over and over again just to reassure myself. And I think something I learned is, unfortunately, none of those things actually stopped the eventual outcome of me having a miscarriage. So around my second pregnancy, I did a lot less Googling and a lot less like taking pregnancy tests and things like that because I had learned from my learned fast. experience that it didn't really make a difference. Good for you. Exactly. Oh <laughs> yes. I will say my my husband's support in that and distraction. Yeah. And we had actually in February had planned a few months before a vacation in Hawaii for a week. So I use that as like a great escape. I was like, okay, I'm going to plan everything we're going to do there. And while we were there, I just tried to focus on being there. And finally, at the end of the February, we had our doctor's appointment. And, you know, again, I really appreciate my doctor for doing this because right when she started- So which doctor were you at at this point? So that was our second doctor, the one we went to. We just had to stick with her just because we felt kind of safer with her. We felt like she was going to just, whatever the news was, she was going to give it to us quickly and make a plan quickly. Rip the Band-Aid off. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And she did that again. We started the ultrasound and she said- Everything looks exactly like I want it to. I can hear the heartbeat. Everything's looking really good. And I couldn't believe it. 
And how many weeks, remind me? Yeah, so we were supposed to be 10 weeks, but she said a base on the ultrasound, it was looking more like eight and a half weeks or so. Okay. And that time I hadn't been tracking and everything like that, like specifically on purpose. I was like, I do not want to go down the same path I went last time. But she she's like, you know, that seems normal based on your period date. I'm not worried about that. And she's like, and everything looks really good. The heartbeat is really strong. And we had recorded a video of the heartbeat. And even in the background, you can hear me saying out loud, like, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Because I was just so excited. And I still remember even like after the doctor left the room and I was getting dressed again, turning to my husband and saying like, I feel like I just let out a breath that I've been holding for like the last month, but not realizing I've been holding my breath for so long. And finally, those next few weeks, which was in March, we finally got excited during both of our pregnancies. I had never really allowed myself or gave myself permission to hope, to dream, to plan. And finally, after that appointment, we like launched full into that. We started thinking about names. We, I'd already told on my family again the second time around as well, but I gave everyone else permission of like, okay, we can get excited now. Like we can start planning. We can start thinking about this. And those three weeks before our next appointment were just amazing. And I'm so glad that we gave ourselves that time to celebrate this baby. And so we went back to our doctor's appointment, which would have been, it was around mid-March, should have been around like 12 weeks or so. And I will say, like, going into that appointment, we were feeling so differently than any of our other doctor's appointments. We'd always gone into OB's office. I think it started to have this association with, like, anxiety and dread and devastation that, like, every time we would go into an appointment, right, we would just be uh, really, like, kind of, like, quiet and just, like, waiting to hear the news, almost, like, just prepping ourselves. But this time we were excited because the last appointment went so well that we were, like, chatting with our nurse. We were talking about next appointments. We were talking about how I was feeling. And up to that point, really in both my pregnancies, I experienced very little pregnancy symptoms. I had fatigue and some breast pain. But apart from that, no nausea, nothing else that felt really unusual. And at the time, kind of thought I was really lucky to get away with experiencing so few symptoms. And so my doctor started the ultrasound, and again, very quickly, even before she said something, there was like this millisecond that I remember looking at the ultrasound and noticing that the picture on the screen looked exactly like it had looked about three weeks ago, minus that little flickering heartbeat that I remember seeing the first time. And I think in that split second that my mind recognized that, she then said, And I still remember that line of, you know, unfortunately, I'm not seeing any cardiac activity. And I will say, you know, in the first pregnancy, I think I had been so anxious. I had almost been anticipating her saying that. In the second pregnancy, I wasn't. I was not expecting that. Exactly. And and, And either outcome, it still hits you like a ton of bricks. It's still just like, no way. I can't believe this. And my husband was there. He's been with me at all the appointments, which I really appreciate. And he put his head on my stomach and it was just crying with me. And another doctor came in, confirmed the diagnosis. And, you know, again, things moved from really slow motion to very quickly to where, you know, she um, finished the exam, let us get dressed or let me get dressed again and came back and said, okay, I think we should go ahead and schedule you a DNC for tomorrow. And then I'm going to be giving you some referrals to infertility doctors as well. And while I appreciated hearing that information, getting the referrals, that word infertility just shocked me, you know, to this point, like we had been pregnant twice and 
gotten pregnant pretty easily. So the idea that like, wow, we need infertility doctors, like where is this coming from? It was shocking and I couldn't fully process it. And I will say one thing I've learned after having a second miscarriage is that it's a very different experience than the first. In the first miscarriage, you know, I have my doctor, other nurses sharing like in a miscarriage, it's really common. It happens to a lot of women. There's nothing to say you won't go on and have a like successful viable pregnancy again. When you have two miscarriages, you don't hear as much of that. It's, you know, they talk more about like, okay, we need to do testing. We need to find, we need to figure out what's going on. But before we could do any of that, we had to go and make the painfully familiar journey to the hospital next door to do the pre-op for the DNC. And I remember still like going there and having to hear all the same questions I had just gotten in November of the past year and just thinking how crazy that things could change so quickly that just an hour ago, my husband and I were excitedly waiting in the waiting room to see our ultrasound. And then in just an hour later, here we were in the hospital next door about to do our pre-op. So we go home. My DNC was scheduled for the next day. And up to this point, starting in January, I had taken a break from writing my book. I think my hope that getting pregnant again was going to distract me from some of my grief and some of my pain, it worked pretty well. It was all-consuming. Just the excitement I started to have her pregnancy, so I stopped writing. And then the morning of my second DNC, I started writing again. I wrote part two of my story. And then I wrote a section, which is probably one of my favorite sections of the book thus far. It was a section called Choosing Hope. And essentially, I was talking about the idea that, you know, my first pregnancy, I was so afraid to hope for the possibility of a successful pregnancy. And instead, I was incredibly anxious and worried. And I Googled everything. I was taking pregnancy tests, all that kind of stuff. In my second pregnancy, I began with feeling really anxious, but then I had a little bit of time to get excited and to plan and to dream and to hope that I was going to have this baby. And those three weeks, like I mentioned earlier with my husband, were so amazing. And you know, one thing I talk about sometimes with clients is this idea that we try to dress rehearse grief or other really hard moments in our life. And at the end of the day, unfortunately, it doesn't do a lot to actually change the impact of whatever loss or trauma we experience. Instead, we think about it almost like an emotional bank account where every time that we allow ourselves to feel grateful, to get excited, to be hopeful, it's almost like deposits in that bank account. And life takes a lot of withdrawals. And miscarriage is a huge withdrawal. So I think at that point, when I was writing in that section, was that I am so glad that I allowed myself to hope for a little bit, even knowing what the eventual outcome was, that, that those few weeks of hoping and getting excited and allowing myself permission to celebrate this life we were bringing into the world meant so much to me. And it was what, it was, what it was getting me through, really, this next loss we were experiencing. So we then went and I had the DNC. This time, I decided to take off a few days off of work, which was amazing and so needed. My husband actually has a really flexible job as well, too, and was able to take off a few days. And it gave us some really great intentional time to just talk about us and talk about our relationship. I think one thing that we experienced and a lot of other folks in the situation I experienced is that our reaction to the miscarriage was different. You know, I think I felt it really intensely both times. And my husband certainly was impacted by it as well, too. But he had a 
concerned that I was going to be upset that he wasn't as distraught or as was grieving as heavily as I was after the miscarriage. And I always told him, I was like, I, that does not affect me. All I need from him is for him to be there when I need him, to be able to give me space when I say that I'm sad or I can't stop thinking about the miscarriages or anything else. And he has given me that many times. And I will say one thing I think I found really helpful on our journey together too, is that he came with me to every single appointment that we had, which really made it feel like we were in this together. And we also started going to couples therapy shortly after our second miscarriage as well too. And as a couples therapist myself, I'm definitely a little biased, but I think it was very helpful for us. You know, one thing we learned throughout that and just I learned as well too, as I was writing is for a lot of partners, when their partner experiences miscarriage, they usually experience sometimes delayed grief because a lot of time what we see is that the partner is trying so hard to support the person who has miscarried and take care of them that it's like their grief almost goes in the back burner. And then maybe a few months later, we start to see them actually experiencing some of that grief. And that's something that my husband and I got to talk about together and learn how to support each other in the way that we needed. That's a really really important, like super important to acknowledge and definitely um, follows along with a lot of what I hear people saying like, oh, my partner was so focused on taking care Mm -hmm. of me and just wanted to make sure I'm okay. And then oftentimes there might not be a pause for them or a sacred pause, you know, a few months down the road. So that, I mean, a reason why couples therapy would be really beneficial, but um, even if you're not going to couples therapy to maybe make space for that. Yeah, I think that is so important because, you know, I've definitely heard from folks in the past feeling kind of disconnected from their partner. Like, how do they not feel the same thing that I'm feeling? And it may be that they are, but just right now they're so fixated on being in that caregiver role that they can't even acknowledge what they're feeling. So I think you're so right about being intentional and making space for your partner and whatever they're feeling and letting them know, like, it's okay. Like, you taking care of me means you sharing with me right now what's going on so I can take care of you, which sometimes is all we need to be able to focus on someone else and being that yes. together. Yeah. So we then, um, shortly after, as I mentioned, my doctor had given us referrals to infertility doctors. So it kind of almost felt like we were just kind of following just this like, just, again, merry-go-round of appointments where we had to go back to my OB, get another follow-up. Everything was fine. We went to the fertility doctor, started getting some testing done, and everything was like coming up relatively normal. And it got to the point where we had to do a hysteroscopy, which is in a more invasive procedure where they have like to look at the like uterine structure to see if that was causing any of the miscarriages. And I noticed like a lot of resistance in myself to doing that, partly just because it's another surgery where you have to get put under. My husband really wasn't that excited about that part either. And I remember asking the doctor of like, so is this something I like I definitely need to do? Are we really sure about this? And you know, they said that it would be helpful for us to do, but I just kept kind of noticing this resistance to it and I ended up having a really long, really important conversation with my husband where we just kind of paused for a second and talked about where we were at in this whole process. And, you know, we asked the question of like, do we actually want to have kids? And the answer to that was yes, we definitely do. The follow-up to that is, are we willing to do everything and anything to make that happen? whether that means physically, emotionally, financially. And at that moment, at this moment, we decided, no, we're not at that place right now. 
we are choosing to stop right now and to focus on other things in our life and, you know, brings to mind. I really appreciate hearing the stories of so many women and their resilience and going through one miscarriage, maybe multiple miscarriages, and then fertility treatments, whatever their journey may be, and getting that rainbow baby at the end of their journey. And it just kind of brings to mind to me the idea that a different kind of rainbow, in a sense, that sometimes that rainbow is a baby, but other times it's maybe a different kind of life that you didn't expect. For me, our rainbow right now is this book that I started writing. It's deciding to move into Houston downtown to kind of experience city lifestyle. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. Go ahead. And to spend time on each other and our lives right now. And I think just the freedom to be able to choose something right now, because it feels like miscarriage takes away a lot of choices from us. So just being able to empower ourselves to make the choice that feels right for us, it just feels really good. And I guess I just want to speak just that idea of being able to give yourself the freedom to figure out like, what is my rainbow? Maybe it's a baby. Maybe it's a move. Maybe it's something else altogether that you never would have imagined before, but just to allow yourself the space and the freedom to imagine that. I think that's really important because when you make the decision or, I mean, maybe, maybe for some people, the first miscarriage wasn't even a you know decision that was made when you realize, Oh my gosh, I want a baby. Um, there's a feeling of wanting to replace it, wanting to replace it, however many times it happens. And it really takes a lot of self-awareness to do what you're doing and to step back and to say, it's okay, you know, we're going to pause. Uh, that's really great and not easy to do. Thank you. Yeah. You know, it wasn't easy and it felt, when we actually made the decision, it felt like, are we actually doing this? Are we going to not continue with the testing? Are we going to just like focus a on another part of our life? And it really did <laughs> yeah. feel like a rebel. I was actually reading, there's this great site called the Uterine Monologues. And she has this article, she talks about going in hibernation mode sometimes on your fertility journey nice. and being like a rebel in the back yeah. of the class. And I'm like, hi, I love that. That's, That's what so I feel good. like. I'm like this rebel in the back of the class, you know, telling our fertility doctor of like, no, we're not going to schedule a follow-up appointment. We'll, we'll let you know if and when we're ready. And that feels really good right now. It feels really good to focus on publishing my book, which will be out in a couple of weeks, and on these other parts of our life. That's so great. So I'm sure, you know, everything that you've told us is touched on in your book, but what about the shame that goes with miscarriage? Talk to me about that mm-hmm. because you have such yeah. a unique perspective being a psychologist. I mean, you're like, you know, yes. it from the clinical side. <laughs> and then also if you can touch on, did you have any training on this? Was this talked about in your schooling, how to handle it? Were there certain techniques mm-hmm. that um, you really pulled from that people could look for? Two separate questions. Sorry yeah. for giving you two things, but. Yeah. No, you're fine. Yeah. Well, to the first question, as far as shame, I think, you know, I have learned there is personally, and I will say clinically that there is such a huge correlation between shame and miscarriage, partly because I think it's given so little attention in society and the world that we get this implicit message almost that like, this is something I'm supposed to hide. This is something I'm not supposed to talk about. Well, and something I'm supposed to inherently biologically be able to do. 
and exactly fail. yes 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 and oh. that is definitely one of the points that I make in my book the idea that motherhood and womanhood is so much so just like tied together in yeah. a way that the idea that one of I talk about this idea in my book of almost like naming these different like beliefs and ideas that you have in your head sure. about being a woman and one of them is like the idea that being a woman means being a mother so if I'm not a mother what does that mean about me about my identity how do I make sense of those pieces and I think the thing about shame, and I do write about this in my book, with each of my chapters, I have like a certain kind of like a topic and then an exercise to work through. So one chapter is actually dedicated all about shame because I do think it's such an important topic. So important. Yes. And um, the exercise is essentially to name all the different kind of tracks that go in your mind when you think about shame related to your miscarriage. So for me, some of them was, I'm not a woman if I'm not a mother or something about like, what is my worth if I'm not able to produce a child? And one of the things that we learn about shame is that when we keep it hidden, it gives it more and more power in our yeah. life. But the more we expose it to the world, whether it's sharing with your partner, whether it's even journaling, whether it's sharing it with a friend, if it gets exposed to light, it loses its power. And I think that is such an important part of this is, is there any way that you can start to share a little bit of what are those shame tracks that are playing in your head and can you expose that to light? Because I will let you know now, a lot of us are feeling those exact same shame tracks as well too. You are not alone in that. And as far as your second question, can you remind me again what the full question was? So you've been through, I mean, licensed psychologist, mm -hmm. you're working with people and you know, you said even couples therapy. Mm -hmm. Was there anything in your training around helping people through miscarriage? Yes. So, you know, in my graduate school, there was a little bit of training in a grief and loss course that we took. It was like almost okay. like a little subset where they talked about pregnancy loss. Honestly, in my opinion, not enough information, not enough attention and time was spent on that topic, a topic that I now know is so universal. I then was exposed to a little bit more training when I did an internship once at the Houston Area Women's Center. Okay. So I got a little bit more exposure and training yeah. there. And That's then great. certainly, yeah, that was really helpful, I will say. And then just throughout some of my we have a clinical like practicums and internships that we go through before we are fully licensed and working in different private practice settings. I've had the experience of working with couples as well as individuals have, who have gone through pregnancy loss and have had supervisors provide training in that way. And then honestly, I think a lot of my learning now has been just seeking out my own resources, finding books, going through research and again, just even listening through these stories have they've taught me so much. And again, I think, going back to the shame piece, have helped me expose some of the shame that I was experiencing and help bring some light to them. And again, realize that I'm not alone in a lot of the feelings that I have. But I will say, I think it's something that it's a topic that needs more attention in our training and really across all kind of medical training as well, too. Oh, definitely across all medical training. I mean, I couldn't believe yes. <laughs> um, from my side also that it's just not talked about, but I'm working on changing that. I'll get there eventually. Yes. I'm glad. So anything else to share with us? Yeah. Well, I shared just like a little bit about my book. It's called The Miscarriage Map, What to Expect When You Are No Longer Expecting. It's 10 chapters that just cover all of – it's really relevant 
topics related to miscarriage, serve the survival guide for the first month, your relationship after miscarriage, your relationship with your body after miscarriage, shame and essentially life after miscarriage as well too. With Like I said earlier, with each chapter having specific exercises of like, okay, now that I've identified these things of what I'm going through, what do I do with that? How do I make sense of these things? And that'll be coming out in two weeks and which I'm really excited about. And you can find some more information about it on my website, which is www.drsanitaosborne.com. So I'm just really excited to get that out there and hope that they can give some help and support to other women out there and their partners and family that may be experiencing a little bit of what I experienced. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And where can they get the book off your website or where will people be able to find it? It'll be on Amazon. Yes. On Amazon? Yep. Mm-hmm. Booyah, making it easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I got Amazon Good. for everything. So Good. Yes. Thank you so much for your for sharing your story, but also for your insight. Oh my gosh. Just so valuable. Thank you. Thank you. And again, thank you again so much for having this platform. It's really been such a huge help for me. Oh, I'm so glad. Hey, you stay connected. Find us on Instagram at Managing Miscarriage, on Facebook at Miscarriage Nonprofit, and don't forget to download the free e-guide on our website, managingmiscarriage.com. Please rate and review this podcast to help other women find us and consider sharing your story. Hang in there, mama.